Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who is a divorce lawyer based in Boston. He has just come out with a new book called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Gerald. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, how you got to know what you know about the whole divorce and the world of divorce. Well, I've been doing this for 43 years. I started my practice in Somerville, Mass., which is just outside Boston. My dad was a lawyer. Unfortunately, he died when I was in law school. Uh, When I got out of law school, I went to work for a firm and uh, in Somerville, but I was, of course, low person on the totem pole. That meant I did everything that nobody else wanted to do. And back then, divorce was lower than anything, lower than collection work, lower than representing the firm's slum landlords and evicting people, very, very low. So I got to do those. And after about five years, and and I loved them. I loved the people. I loved the challenge. I loved trying to help people. Uh, After about five years, I decided that I wanted to concentrate my practice in that area. So... I, I used to do criminal law. I represented some of what was called the Winter Hill Gang people, things like that. But um, stopped doing that after about five years and concentrated initially on family law, on what we called equity and appeals, and after a few more years, just family law. So how did you go from that modest beginning to uh, representing the kind of high-priced uh, top of society uh, Boston uh, people who are going through divorce? Well, um, I think that's in what I would call the hand of God. <laughs> Some people would call it serendipity. Uh, but my first divorce case was uh, for a woman um, who wanted to divorce her husband, and actually uh, she wanted to marry somebody I'd gone to high school with. And I begged her not to do this because, at least, I mean, divorcing her husband was one thing, but marrying this guy who I knew to be a bully. And, and not very nice to women. And I told her so. Uh, but nevertheless, she wanted to get divorced, so she got divorced and agreed to give her husband the house um, and uh, took a $15 a week child support order. Uh, then she went off to live with this guy in a trailer in New Hampshire. And uh, then several months later, she came back, having been beaten once too often. At least she got out of there. And she was trying to find out if there was a way to undo the divorce and maybe, you know, get some property out of her husband. And I explained to her that it wasn't possible, and she wanted me to try. And I said to her what I've said to many people over the years who think that lawyers will, will do illegal things for them, uh, which, which they won't, is, well, if you gave me $25 million taxes paid in a Swiss account, I would think about it. So um, that, would be my, that would be my way of, uh, of, that would be my money answer to her. You should excuse the expression. so she went away and of course uh, she didn't come back but then just building a reputation you know I I was and learned to be a good trial lawyer I mean I went to all kinds of courses I used to sit in court watch other great trial lawyers and so the probate court back then wasn't uh, didn't have many good trial lawyers and little by little I mean you build your reputation uh, as did you you know one person at a time and after a while people say gee you know, that Jordan, he knows what he's talking about. You should go talk with him. So I haven't uh, reached your heights of, of, of uh, recognition, 
but in Massachusetts, people would probably say that I, I know what I'm doing. What are some of the common myths about divorce that people have going into the process? Well, I think the first myth is, has to do with marriage. Uh, I, I say that um, the basic reason for divorce is, of course, marriage. And the basic reason for marriage is sex. Uh, and people seem to think that uh, when, they, when they are in love and having a good relationship, uh, intimate relationship with their, with their soon-to-be spouse, they think that it's going to be like that forever. They never stop to look around at the fact that at some point in time, they have to get out of bed and start, start the, uh, the job, if you will, of living each day. They have to look across the table and be able to talk to each other. And unless they're best friends with each other, unless they respect each other, unless they each have talents they bring together, uh, a marriage doesn't make two people into one. It makes two people into one good partnership, or, as the case may be, a bad partnership. So you're saying that a lot of people get into marriage in the first place having fallen in love but not really taking the significance of living together for your whole life and what that's going to take. Exactly. They don't think ahead. And, and uh, you know, experience, is, is not, experience uh, comes to those who are older. God or he, the human beings don't give experience to young people. They have to learn the hard way. Uh, also, I say that, um, I mean, we always ask clients to send us a narrative, a written narrative, of their entire relationship with their spouse. Also, where they grew up, their education, training, experience, assets, income, liabilities, and expenses. And reading those narratives, you can see what went on between them and why this marriage just wasn't going to work out. Uh, what, we, what I have said so many times is that marriage will not cure psychological problems. <laughs> so it seems obvious, but people think, well, after we get married, it'll be better. So if someone's, uh, um, we've had people, one, one story in the book is a lady uh, uh, who went to uh, one of the top you know, uh, colleges in the United States, and after college worked in New York and met this fellow, and uh, they were dating, et cetera, and they were going to get married. And shortly after they got engaged, they were about to go out to eat, meet friends. He attacked her in, in her apartment, choking her almost to death. Uh, and she, whatever happened, she fell over backwards, he let go, and then he stopped, and she ran out the door. Uh, he came back on his knees begging for forgiveness, etc., 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 and she took him back thinking it was a one-time event. But it happened again before they got married, and still she married him. Still she married him. And then after they got married, he proceeded, as, as do many batterers, to... Um, cut her off from her family, her friends, etc. So by the time they, they had a baby, which was maybe a year later, um, she really had nobody to turn to. And, in fact, what had happened was uh, at about seven months into the pregnancy, he beat her again. And at that point, she called the cops and she got out of there. But then he wasn't done. That doesn't stop the, uh, the battering or the abuse. Uh, what happens is that a batterer will then go after the other spouse, and in this case, he wanted custody. He wanted custody, not because he wanted the child, but because he wanted to you know, do something nasty to his soon-to-be ex-wife. And that caused an 11-day trial. Uh, and, and the purpose of that was to make her spend as much money as possible. 
so that when he came back a few years later, which he did, to try and get more visitation, she wouldn't have the money to fight him. And she didn't. And so, you know, the money answer is, if you again, to use the name of your show, is if you want to marry somebody, don't marry somebody who has demonstrated this kind of bad conduct, whether it's abusive, physical, or mental, or drinking, or drugs. Those are going to be bad relationships, and they'll get worse as time goes on. Do you do a lot of premarital uh, counseling as well, since you've seen the end result? Do you try to help people head these things off in the first place? Well... Um, we don't do we, we do premarital agreements, but we don't do counseling. Um, given my seven hundred dollar an hourly rate, uh, <laughs> we we tend to say to people, if you want to go to marriage counseling or counseling, then find somebody who's actually trained in that area, and their fees per hour are a lot less than ours. Do you think prenuptial agreements are a good idea for all marriages? I think for a great deal, a number of marriages should have them but not necessarily every marriage. If you, if you start with nothing and you have no likelihood of a, of a substantial inheritance, then there really is no need for a premarital agreement. Um, and, of course, it also depends on what state you get divorced in. That is to say, if you live your entire life in California and you have no premarital agreement, then your assets would be divided equally at the time of divorce. Uh, and even if you inherited money in California, that would be separate property for the most part. There would be questions about appreciation and things like that. If you get married and, and live and get divorced in if you get divorced in Massachusetts, Massachusetts has equitable division of all the property acquired during the marriage, which basically means 50-50. But in addition, this is why we tell people thinking about getting married with with a premarital agreement, we say move to Pennsylvania. <laughs> in addition, in Massachusetts, it will, the courts, without a premarital agreement, will take into consideration inherited property and gifted property. So if you want to protect that from a spouse, for whatever reason, you need a premarital agreement. And, and frankly, in a sense, the less money you have, that is to say, if someone has 500000 that they're going to inherit from parents. It's more important for that spouse to protect that money than somebody who might be inheriting 100 or 200 million. Because if someone loses half of that 500,000, they really don't have much of a, of a base on which to retire or invest. Not that it's a great deal of money these days. But if someone loses 30 or 40 million and they still have 100 million left, you know, somebody can, a person could live on 100 million. <laughs> I guess so. Even today, yes. Even today. Even so, you and me, yes. Do, do all premarital agreements, if they're signed and done legally, hold up in court? Are they ever challenged? Or, or if you have it, it's pretty solid? Well, they're, they're often challenged, but very, but infrequently tipped. Um, if an agreement is, is, if the parties have full disclosure of their assets, if there's no coercion or duress or undue influence, then it's going to be enforced. There are a few ifs. That is to say, in Pennsylvania, if there's full disclosure, no coercion, and so forth, and people sign it, then the court will enforce it. Um, if you go to Florida, a state like Florida, Florida says the agreement has to be fair at the time it was signed. Uh, let's, let's 
skip to what that might mean in a minute and come back to it if you want. In Massachusetts, this is the only state that has this, a premarital agreement has to be fair when signed and fair at the time of enforcement. So but they are, they are all typically upheld. Okay, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is uh, Gerald Nussenbaum, who is the author of Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who is a lawyer and an author of a new book called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thanks so much. We were talking a little bit about prenups. Let's make it clear, who is a prenup appropriate for and who is it not appropriate for? Anybody that wants to protect their assets, uh, for example... Um, if if uh, it's a second marriage and you're coming to the second marriage with a house, you may want to protect that house for the children of the first marriage or for you, or for yourself. Um, it may be uh, that uh, grandma or grandpa has some money that you expect to get, not now, but maybe in five or ten years. And you should protect that for yourself because if you don't, um, in Massachusetts, for example, and you inherit that money ten years down the road, and two years after that, you get divorced, it's likely that your ex-spouse uh, will get half that money. So, you know, it's very important to spend, uh, you know, whatever it may cost you in terms of dollars now. I call it an insurance policy uh, for uh, assets that are not earned during the marriage. Um, and, Is it necessary it, to it, go to a lawyer like you to do it, or could you... Just get one of these things off the internet, or one of these software programs that just kind of does a prenup well, pretty easily. Uh, if you go, if you get something off the internet, then you you may be surprised at what it doesn't cover. Uh, you need to have a lawyer who knows what they're doing. Um, it, it's like any specialty. If you want to build your house, you know you don't you don't ask um, you know a lawyer to do it. If you need a legal document, you don't ask a general contractor to do it. It's really quite that simple. If you want to invest your money. You go to professional, or you listen to, to your show, and you get professional information and advice. If you just um, listen to your neighbor or the barber or, or the hairdresser or your, or your friends, you could invest, but you could invest quite poorly. So uh, even with professionals, you know, it doesn't always work out, but at least you have a good shot at it. Now, lately there have been some extremely high-profile uh, infidelities and and. Breakups, you know, Elliot Spitzer well, and well, who could you be talking about? Sanford and <laughs> some obscure golfer somewhere, you know. Yes, yes. Um, well, that was is this the kind of the, talking these about happen. Tiger for a second? Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting that he held his news conference on, on Friday uh, during a tournament that used to sponsor him. Right. And I was thinking this morning, I didn't hear anything reported about that tournament all weekend. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm making his point that without Tiger, you're not going to get the kind of press coverage that you want. So uh, when you see these, these things blow up, when you saw Elliot Spitzer and Sanford and Tiger, are, are there all these divorce lawyers just like licking their chops at the big fees about to come? Is this like their dream come true here? Well, Spitzer didn't get divorced. Yeah. Spitzer didn't get divorced. When, when, typically, when people call us and they say, I've just found out my spouse has been having an affair. Uh, either briefly or a long-time affair or whatever. What we always ask is whether there's any any reserve, any any history that they still have together that might be the basis to rebuild the relationship. That is to say, if the other spouse wants to really repent and really stay together, um, then they can go to marriage counseling. I mean, they can always get divorced, but if you know, or this may just be the straw that broke the camel's back, and they want to get divorced. But if they want to stay married, they can try that, and we encourage that. And many people do try counseling. And then, you know, some of those people stay married, and, and some of them don't. 
what is your experience in a, in a very high-profile case like the Tiger Woods case, where this is not just you know one infidelity, but this is a series? Yes. Can they, in fact, repent and come back, and everything can be hunky-dory again? The answer I don't know about uh, Elon and, and Tiger. I have seen uh, instances where people have tried, but I haven't seen it succeed with that much going on, frankly. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. What I what I think with Tiger is he's got a he's got a whole bunch of different things going on, all of which have to do uh, with money, and very little of which may have to do with family. You know, and if he wanted to, uh, I would say this: if he wanted a divorce. And he would have said, okay, I did all this stuff, and it was bad of me, and I'm going to get divorced, and I'm going to be a great dad and get on with his life. And I think uh, it, it's rumored that his premarital agreement with Elin says that she gets $2 million a year for a maximum of 10 years. So she'd have $20 million, um, plus child support. And I, if I were him, and he, if it's rumored he had $350 million at the time, uh, I would say, if I was his PR guy, well, you got 20, you're going to have to pay her, but even though it's not 10 years. Give her the 20, give her another 30 or 40 or even 50 to make it really sweet and say, I'm going to, I, I don't owe, I owe her like 10 million now. I'm going to give her another 60 so she has $70 million because I want her to have no concerns about money for the rest of her life, and I'm getting on with my life. And I'm sorry to all my fans because my feet are, are made of clay. And get on with your life. But that isn't what he did. What he did was to decide to uh, go into rehab, and, and you know what, what celebrity hasn't done rehab in order to try and stay uh, in favor with the public? You know, Tiger, professional people like Tiger have a menage a trois. It's him, his wife, and the public. The public is always involved in their relationship, no matter what you do. And that's true of all celebrities. It's true of all um, uh, well-known Public figures, for example, in Boston we have the Patriots with the Kraft family. The Kraft family is as much involved with the public as anybody else, as any other of these uh, high-profile stars. So, uh, if he's going to get back, now he's going to go try and go back with her. If he does reconcile, and at some point in the future he again commits adultery, um, you know, his whatever uh, remnant of his reputation he had will be fully destroyed. So he's got a lot riding on his fidelity, not just his wife and family, but also his relationship with the public. If you were representing Elam in this case, would you accept that offer of $70 million or so, knowing how much he's worth? Well, of course, because if he doesn't give it to her, she ends up with just what she's entitled to. Uh -huh. you know, when she signed the agreement, which I believe was in Florida, Florida says the agreement has to be fair when signed. Uh, it also has to be full disclosure and so forth. And at the time, it's rumored he had $250 million. So what he agreed to was to give her $2 million a year. They've been married, let's say, five or six years, so she gets $12 million. Agreeing to give her $12 million, and this is not meant to be in any sense demeaning, but before she married him, she was a nanny making a few hundred bucks a week plus room and board, and her parents are, are not wealthy. You know, they're average, middle-class people. So for her to walk away from a marriage with 10 or $12 million is a sum which is so far beyond what she could ever have hoped to accumulate, and that's all tax-free dollars, okay? So if she had to go out and earn money and end up with 12, with $12 million, she'd have to earn something like $20 million. 
I mean, that's a heck of a lot of money. And so, therefore, there's no question that agreement, and indeed amounts far, far more modest, would be deemed by the Florida court as valid. And I'm sure she had terrific counsel, and so she's not going to be able to argue that the agreement should be um, uh, ignored because of fraud or duress or undue influence. So if you represented her, what you might have is some str- some uh, level of um, p- persuasion saying, well, um, if you want me to show up at that press conference, you need to put $20 million in my name or $50 million in my name. And I was very interested as a divorce lawyer to see that she wasn't there, which told me that they have not yet made a deal. They have not yet made a deal which deals with money because she wants to protect herself and her children. I mean, for example, uh, let's assume that uh, she walks away with just her premarital money. Her kids aren't protected. If he gets married and has more kids uh, or marries a third time, as the case may be, I have seen second and third spouses say whatever they say so that they cut off they cut themselves off from their prior from children born of their first marriage and they cut them out of their wills i mean you just can't imagine how how that would happen and and i see it and i just scratch my head and wonder wonder how that could be it's so amazing to me so if she wants to protect the kids she can say well give me 20 and put 20 in each kid's name or let's let's have I mean, of course that would that would create gift taxes. But if he gave her money, and she agreed then in turn to to uh, give it to the children in her will, then the kids would be protected too. So it's not all about money, but it is about protecting herself and her children. And let's face it, no matter where she goes in the world, she's going to be an object of interest. Should they get divorced, so she needs to pay people to protect her from from intruders. She needs to live in a safe place. The kids need to go to schools that are safe. It costs a lot of money, a lot of extra money to do that. So I I would not in any way uh, challenge her right to ask for more money. But the fact she wasn't there told me she hasn't got it yet. What role does emotion play in these negotiations when you're doing Are people really vindictive and, and kind of making points and trying to do things on a principle, or are they pretty kind of hard-headed and, and business-oriented when they get into these divorce negotiations? Well, I think uh, the person who wants the divorce uh, is always much further ahead emotionally than the person who, who didn't know about it until somebody came home and said, I want a divorce. And so that person who just found out about it needs time to catch up with the other one. Uh, in the trial court, you know, the way a judge looks at this, this is a business partnership. This is about money terms of dividing the marital property. This is about money in terms of alimony, supporting a spouse if need be. It's about money to support the children. Emotions, vindictiveness, the judge says, take that to a higher court, meaning take it, you know, take it up with God if you are religious. So the people come here, they're often emotional, and we just need to give them time to calm down. The other thing is, I always tell people, for example, who are about to move out of a house, who have just been tossed out of a house on because the other one has gotten a, a domestic relations order against them for being abusive. I explained to them that they should not make any plans now. They shouldn't buy a house or make any investments because their emotion over that situation is going to um, in, 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 
improperly um, affect their decision. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who's a lawyer based in Boston. His new book is called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who is a lawyer based in Boston. Uh, he's recently come out with a book called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you again. Uh, just tell people about the website that you offer and uh, some, what, what are some of the things they can find there. All right. The website for the office is nissenbaumlaw.com. It's designed to provide a lot of information to people, to people primarily from Massachusetts divorces. Uh, tell them about the law of divorce, the things that judges are interested in knowing, uh, our equitable distribution law, questions are, re- are answered about alimony, child support, um, questions about domestic violence and things of that nature. 
So even if people can't afford my fees, they can they can go there free of charge. There's nothing that they have to pay for on that website uh, to get a lot of information. And um, as with investing in anything, uh, getting information is the key to making better decisions. And that's, somebody... what, that's why we try and keep our clients informed. We send them copies of everything we, we that comes in and goes out, whether it's email or correspondence or pleading, to keep the client up to date. It's very important. When a client calls you the first place, as you said to me during the break, you'll take whichever one calls you first. You don't particularly care one way or the other which side you're, you're representing. Tell us a little bit about the, the first meeting and how, how should somebody be prepared uh, to have the first meeting with you when you're, they're starting the whole process? Our, our, we, our intake process is a screening device, really, in the sense that, uh, first of all, uh, we have clients go to the website and check on something called Hire Us. And that takes them to a, another page which talks about uh, the, our requirement to have them send us an, a detailed narrative. Uh, some of those are four or five pages. Some of them uh, are, one was in one case, 300 pages. <laughs> and and, and uh, it was very informative. It's what, what I, it's what we call a Bible. We keep going back to it and back to it to get the facts. Because the law is pretty straightforward. It's the facts that make the difference. And it gives us an insight into how the client thinks about themselves, about their spouse. It gives us insight into how the spouse thinks. And if there's custody involved, there's another page you go to to list out some 18 to 20 factors that judges consider across the United States in custody disputes. Um, so we, want, we need to know all that information. Then we ask them to send that to us together with the last several years' income tax returns, a statement of assets and liabilities, expenses, and income, and we ask them for a wish list. That is to say, if I could wave a magic wand and make it all over, I can't make it better, but I can make it all over, I can stabilize it, what do they think a fair outcome would be? And we want to know that because if they're out looking for blood in the last dime, we can't promise them that. And if that's what they want, they need to find some other lawyer that would promise that, even though it would be impossible to achieve. So we get all that information, and we have them send that to us together with a deposit. Typically, that's 5000 And the reason we do that is we don't want people coming here just to, and, and taking our time. Often, uh, they'll People are out there trying to disqualify lawyers from taking on their spouse's case. So if, if they're going to hire attorney X and they don't want me, then they would try and also talk with me in order to get me disqualified from representing their spouse. So this screening process uh, um, is used for that purpose. But also, if a client can't produce for us the information we need to help them, then those people probably need a psychiatrist before they need a lawyer because we need a lot of information and cooperation from the client. Um, so that's the intake process. Then when they come in, we usually spend two or three hours, and by the time they leave, they'll have our thinking about the case. We'll have tried to answer their questions about what's going to happen on the division of assets, what would happen on alimony, child support, and the other issues in the case, and also how long it might take to get the case over with, and, and a whole bunch of other issues. I mean, valuation of assets. Uh, one of the things that's often important in the cases that we have now is to track money, to track assets. And that, that's a key case. Um, in fact, one of the 
longer parts of the book, one of the, the section on money, is a case that we've called Worthington in the book. Now, of course, in the book we used pseudonyms for the names of our clients. Uh, but that lady came to see me about year 11 of her divorce. It was a 17-year divorce case. She had had prior lawyers who tried to find the money, and frankly, they, were, they didn't. They didn't. And ultimately, the divorce went through, and within 30 days of the divorce going through, she finally got some documents from the FDIC under the Federal uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act, and she brought the documents to me and asked me what I thought and could I help her. In fact, she came to see me as an ex. She wanted to hire me as an expert witness to sue her prior lawyers. And, and based on what she told me, she probably would have had a good case. But she also had these other documents. When I looked at them and I extrapolated, uh, she had about six weeks' worth of documents from this one account that had not been disclosed in the divorce. And when I extrapolated, it showed her husband was sucking about, or skimming, we would say, a million dollars a year tax-free out of the company. Now, if you add a million dollars a year to the bottom line of a company, and you have a multiple of five, you're adding $5 million more to the, to the value of the business. If you have a multiple of 10, of course, it's 10 million and so on. So that's an important thing uh, to know. So I immediately filed something to put a pin and stop the divorce from becoming final, and ultimately made a motion, which was allowed by the judge, to reopen the case, because we had both fraud and a discovery of new evidence. That's pretty unusual, probably, to be able to open a case that's been closed, right? Um, I do that once every 30 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Approximately. It's very, very hard. And, but, you know, somebody who does the work I do at, at my level would know how to do that when, when you can in the rare circumstances. So is that pretty common to be hiding assets uh, in a case like that? It's common that assets are held, uh, are hidden. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we always take the information given to us by the client as the starting point, not the end point. And we so always do you hire do... a private investigators, or how do you find out what's well, being Well, we, we do due diligence by asking for production of documents. We often hire private investigators to do searches, particularly with overseas concerns about overseas assets. Um, in the Worthington case, uh, not only did we have that problem, but also about a month before he was served with the divorce papers, he claimed that the business needed money, and he and his brother had to his brother had to invest another seven hundred and fifty thousand, which he didn't have. He said, throwing his interest from being equal down to nineteen percent. And during the first part of her case, she couldn't prove that was a fraud or or anything. When I got into the case and we started to do our document production, uh, the husband was so abhorrent. I mean, in in one case, in, in fact, in two instances, he literally sent an 18-wheel truck filled with documents, which we had to scan and organize, and not one of them were relevant. And then when we asked for sanctions and, and, for, and for the real documents, he sent the same documents, but all messed up into a different order. And at that point, the judge allowed my motion to get all the documents that his accountant had, his longtime accountant. And there we had about 300,000 documents to review. And out of that, we found five, which um, showed without question that they had backdated the change in ownership. They had backdated the change in ownership to before the divorce papers were served when it was done afterwards. And then we had them, so to speak, um, by a part of his body, which when we squeezed, he, he really was going to pay attention. 
But even then, he wanted us to try the case, and we did. It was a finding of fraud. Uh, the judge ordered a million dollars in legal fees to be repaid to her, which was all the money she had spent on legal fees to that point in time because now she was starting again. And at that point, thank goodness, somebody came along to buy the company. And we then became, you know, like, well, we're not interested. And finally, my client got an extra $14 million, plus she kept the $5 million house. After 17 years, though. <laughs> well, it took her a long time, yeah. but she really was indomitable about it. And, and that was the fair settlement. I mean, if the guy had settled with her years earlier, he would have paid a lot less. And when it came time to sell the company, he would have kept most of it. So this I mean, is where the just, emotion comes into it, right? Well, his, he, he uh, you know, the, the rule was if you can get the company to pay, if you can't steal it, get the company to pay for it. <laughs> that was their rule. Yeah. And we had all coming. Mean, the book talks about some of the things that we did to find that money. But Another way that people cases... hide, hide money is yeah. simply to put it into real estate. They over and they over improve real estate uh, so that the money is gone from the marital estate. But then they have a luxurious home to live in or a luxurious uh, condominium to live in. Yeah. So um, you're saying, in most cases, people would have been worn down by that process. And having this truckload of papers would have just overwhelmed them. They'd just basically give up. That's what he was trying to do, right? Obviously. Obviously. It's, it's it bury us with paper. Yeah. And it didn't work, and it worked against him finally. <laughs> so, I mean, other places where people hide money, for example, we've represented knife grinders. You know, they come in here saying that they, they may earn 25000 a year. Well, a knife grinder... You know, you can imagine when, and I, I, mean, I don't know how old you are. Well, I know, I actually know how old you are. Uh, I don't know if you lived in a neighborhood where I did growing up when somebody would come around once a week, you know, being knife grinder, knife grinder, just like the ragman would come around yelling ragman. And people would bring their knives out to be sharpened at a nickel or a dime apiece. Well, nowadays, knife grinders um, uh, sharpen knives for chefs at restaurants. And this fellow had a route that started in Boston and ended up in, in, uh, in Maine. And he had several, several doors that he had to go to. What would happen is on Friday night, or actually Saturday night, the chefs at these restaurants would put a, a plastic bag out on the door of the restaurant, on the back door. And in it they would put the knives they wanted sharpened together with three, four, five, or ten bucks per knife, whatever it was. My client actually paid for the knives, and these were very high-quality knives. He gave them two sets. When he picked up that bag from the back door, he left a bag with new knives, with sharpened knives. And he um, had a van, like a UPS van. He had his route all laid out, and he had a driver. And uh, so the two of them would start this route about 11 o'clock on Saturday, and they would go right through until uh, early Monday morning to get all these bags dropped off and picked up. And then all week long, they would spend grinding knives. All of this is cash. All of this is cash. And I can assure you, not much of it was reported. Oh, so not much of it was reported, because when he came to see me, he was declaring 25000 a year. Yeah. Okay. We've got to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who is a divorce lawyer based in Massachusetts. His new book is called Sex, Love, and Money. Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce. We'll be back after this.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalkup on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There will be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison, featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gerald Nissenbaum, who's a lawyer based in Massachusetts. He's got a new book out called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce, uh, published by uh, Penguin Group uh, Books. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Uh, one area, some specific stories you want to tell about, one is what you call the Madam and the Millionaire. Why don't you tell us what happened and what people can learn from it? Well, this is a classic case of somebody not doing what, sh- what should have been done to protect their money. Uh, this was a fellow who managed just several hundred million dollars in a mutual fund and then retired. Um, so well, you would think that he would have in mind how to protect money. Unfortunately, um, he also was, a, was, if you will, a lifelong alcoholic and had been married and divorced a couple of times. And when he retired, he then started to go to uh, local bars in the, on the North Shore of Massachusetts and ultimately... Uh, r- ran into, so to speak, a woman we'll call the madam. Uh, she was doing karaoke, and he had a few drinks, and she noticed him at the bar and had a little conversation, took him upstairs to that private room, and after that, she was in love, and so wasn't he. She was in love with his money. He was in love with her. <laughs> and 
And um, what he didn't know was that she was about to go to jail for six years for having run a house of prostitution and being a, being a prostitute. And she then told him all of that, of course, was fraudulent, but nevertheless she went away for six years. And for six years he went to see her every month or so and so forth. And when she got out, she convinced him to get married without a premarital agreement, without his assets being, being set aside or anything like that. And within another few months, unfortunately, the uh, cirrhosis of the liver got to him, and she put him in a nursing home. Uh, actually, it was about two years into the marriage. And over that two years, she had sucked out some 600000 from his Schwab account, um, money management account. Now, she didn't know that when she took money out of this account that she was doing it as a, a, car- as a loan against his assets. She thought it was free money, if you will and that he'd never know. And frankly, he didn't pay much attention because he was drinking so much, and she was signing his name. Um, And when we finally got into the case, it was because his children learned he was in a nursing home in very bad shape, unable to recognize anybody, couldn't take care of his own affairs. And at that point, we went to court and got a guardian appointed to uh, take over, and we got a restraining order uh, against his account to keep it. And within minutes of that restraining order being faxed to Schwab, she had tried to take out another $410,000. So uh, if he had done some plan, I mean, the story goes on and on about what happened and how we finally resolved the case. Uh, but the most important thing to me was that, and amazing, is that somebody who knew how to handle money and manage money and invest money didn't take the steps to protect their own assets. And so in that, this case, a me, prenuptial would have done it. A prenuptial would have held up a case a like that. A prenuptial would have held up. She refused to sign one. Okay, but he married her anyway. So that's a sign of trouble right there. <laughs> that's a sign of big trouble. All right, uh, I also want to talk about, you, you said there are certain cases where people have uh, assets and joint names, and that because they run into trouble. What, what happens in those cases? Well, if, if you're having marital problems and everything's in joint names, you have to be concerned that one that your spouse is going to go to a lawyer who's going to say, listen, you should take that money out in order to build a nest egg for yourself and make sure your spouse doesn't take off with the money. Because sometimes... You know, if there's a line of credit, the, big, the t- most typical thing we see is when the husband decides or the wife decides to get a line of credit on the house, far in excess of what anybody needs. So they have a, you know, a house that's worth uh, six or seven or eight hundred or a million dollars. They've got a mortgage for a couple hundred thousand they've paid down over years. Suddenly the husband or the wife wants a line of credit for the full value of the house. That's a good sign that that money is going to be taken out and put into the, the other spouse's name. And that's going to be used to buy that spouse a new house that they can move into when they split, leaving the person with the house with a huge mortgage. Uh, and if they also take the money in the joint accounts, then the spouse who's left has no funds to fight. Now, a judge may say, well, put it all in escrow, et cetera, et cetera. So if you think you have trouble in your marriage, do not sign anything for a second mortgage or for a line of credit, and consider taking out half of the money in the joint accounts and putting it aside do not put it into cash. Do not try and hide it. Do not try and secrete it, because the judges will hammer you for that. But if you take it out and put it into another account where it can all be traced, you'll be okay and you'll be safe. You'll be safe, and that's the that's the key to that. And then uh, we have about two minutes to go. Uh, you, how should people handle uh, children in divorce and custody kind of battles? Well, I think if they're going to get divorced, play fair, put all the assets on the table. When you have children. Think of things from the kids' point of view. The kids need to be stabilized. They need to be loved by both parents. 
they need to see each parent an appropriate amount of time. Uh, remember, when kids go to school, they're home with the, with the custodial parent a few hours during the day and a hectic hour at dinner time and a hectic hour getting them out of the house. That's not really fun visitation. So the only time that's available is weekends, which typically get alternated because that's when parents can have good times with their kids. But remember, when your kids get to be 12, parents become really stupid. So if your kids are acting out, remember, it has nothing to do with the divorce. It has to do with your kids, and you've got to understand where they're at at that point in time. So it, it, think about things from the kids' point of view and, and avoid custody fights because no matter who wins, your kids will lose. Your kids will lose. So have you seen it work out pretty well, where they do kind of shared custody jointly and it works out pretty well? I've seen that work out many, many times for people who want it to work. And at the same time, uh, about I have a self-selecting population of people who come to see me, of people who think they're going to have and typically do have highly contested cases. So about 10% of my caseload gets tried. Typically... No more than 6% of all cases get tried, half of it on the question of valuation and division of assets, and the other 3% is on custody. But that 3% takes up about 70% of, ju- of trial judges' trial time, mm. custody cases. <laughs> because it's so emotionally charged, you mean. Exactly. You can, un- unlike King Solomon, you can't divide the kids in half. And then, of course, <laughs> you get kidnapping cases. We really? have a, a very interesting case in the book about a woman who took the kids from Germany to Rhode Island, and we had to fight to, to get the kids back to Germany, and that cost the guy about a million dollars in legal fees, experts, and everything else. Does all this wear you out? I mean, it just seems like incredibly tiresome to do all this. Well, it is tiresome. On the other hand, it's so darn interesting. And I always say to my kids, and I have five kids, they always said, what should I do? And I said, you should do what you love to do. Figure that out, because if you do what you love, you'll never work. And this is what you love to do. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm a sick person. What can I say? <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, it's been fascinating. My guest this hour in the Money Answer Show has been Gerald Nissenbaum. Uh, his website is nissenbaumlaw.com. Is that right? Dot com, right? Yes. Uh, in Boston. Uh, his new book is called Sex, Love, and Money, Revenge and Ruin in the World of High-Stakes Divorce, uh, published by uh, Penguin Group. And it's really been fascinating to get a, a glimpse into the world that you seem to love so much, Gerald. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And thank you again, and we'll be back with you again next week in the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.